I really am glad that you're here. And if you are here and you're new with us, I really do hope you fill out a Connect card or text into our, our Connect option just so that we can, we can reach out to you. And if there's a way or something we can be praying about, we definitely want to do that. What you need to know is that we are in an extended series in the Gospel of Luke. We have committed this year, and I've committed this year, to preaching exclusively and very intentionally and passionately as I can about Jesus. And so the way that we are beginning that is we're looking at Jesus through the eyes of the Gospel of Luke. And we've made these scripture journals available. If you've got one, hold it up. I want to see these scripture journals. If you're using them, I'm excited. Man, look at that. I love seeing these when they come in the door. If you don't have one yet, we want you to have one. They are available on a table right there in the foyer. You can go get yours. That can be a gift from us to you. If you've got somebody that you've invited and you want them to have one, please do that. We're going to be in Luke for a while. We're still at the beginning of the movie. We're, you have not missed too much yet to jump in and go on this journey with us. And what I'm excited about these for, the reason we believe in these so much, is that I want you to have these as you go through the week. And you spend some time in God's Word, spend some time intentionally looking at who Jesus is and learning and growing that way. And so oftentimes folks are taking um, some of the notes from here, and they're taking them into their second hour Bible class, and they're talking about them there, or in their, their home groups, or uh, taking some of the questions that we've made available, and they're going through on their personal time. It's just their own study, and so I'm getting lots of feedback about what a blessing these have been, and I'm so grateful for the encouragement that I've received, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't tried yet, go along with us on this journey and be blessed by it. Because again, we're trying to see Jesus for who he is. And the problem with that is so often we've put many layers on top of Jesus. And so today, I want us to kind of get back past some of the layers. And there's a, there's a desire in all of us, isn't there, to go back to a simpler time. Anybody wish you could go back to a simpler time? Like today, I wish I could go back to a time when there was actually cowboys in the game that's going to be played later today. Now, I, I can remember that. We have a whole generation that doesn't even know that yet. See, I'd like to go back to that. Well, as I was thinking about um, getting back to a simpler time, I thought of a TV show that predates me, but many of you are going to be very connected with it. It was called The Andy Griffith Show. And Andy was a great time. The thing about it was it took you back to a simpler time. I didn't know it. But in that famous intro, there are words to that theme song. And I have some Andy Griffith singing the words to the theme song. If you want, when you get to the right spot, feel free to whistle along. Okay? Take a listen to this, please. Well, now take down your fishing pole and meet me at the vision hole. We may not. Get a bite all day, but don't you rush away. What a great place to rest your bones, and mighty fine for skipping stones. You'll feel fresh as a lemonade, setting in the shade. Whether it's hot, whether it's cool, oh, what a spot for whistling like a fool. What a fine day to take a stroll and wander by the vision hole. I can't think of a better way to pass the time of day. Well, 
we'll have no need to call the road when we get to the vision hole there'll be you me and old dog Trey to do the time away if we don't Pull a perch or bass, we'll cool our toes in dewy grass, or else pull up a weed to chaw and maybe set and jaw. Hanging around, taking our ease, watching that hound, us scratching at his flea. Come on, take down your fishing pole and meet me at the fishing hole. I can't think. Of a better way to pass the time of day. Who's not smiling right now? I mean, that just harkens back to a simpler time, doesn't it? Grab your fishing pole, let's go to the fishing hole. Talks about lemonade in the shade, our feet in the grass, and watching the dog scratch his fleece. Okay, that's how we're going to pass. That is the lowest amount of stress a human being can possibly have in their life. That show began airing in 1960. It has not gone off of the air continuously since then and now is available in our streaming world on multiple streaming platforms. When Andy Griffith was interviewed one time uh, years ago, he made the comment that the show was set in the 60s. But we wanted the feel of the 30s. So even this nostalgic show takes you all the way back. And the goal was because they realized what was going on in the country at then, what was going on in the tension then, is they wanted to take everybody back to a simpler time. And don't we want to go back to a simpler time? Wouldn't it be great if you could just go back to when and you fill in the blank to some season in your life when it was all right? When everything made sense, when you were that sweet age where it's like, yes, this is just perfect. And you look back so fondly. For me, it's the 80s. You know, I would love to go back in the 80s. I, I just love it when I see 80s culture coming back into our world now. Like it's the first time around, like it's so cool again. And so there's this desire and this longing in each of us to kind of go back to the way it was when the world made sense. Because now so many of us feel like we live in a world that doesn't make sense, right? We're stressed out and we're anxious. And as Christians, we're trying to figure out how do you navigate this world when it just seemed like everything was so simple back then and now all the issues are complex and they've got layers and they've got nuance and how do you even begin to have a discussion that's what we're going to talk about today because if you listen to this part of Luke that we're in as you listen to MJ reading those scriptures we wanted to cover a lot of it and so I thought the way to do that was let's hear all of that scripture when we get into the worship or get into the sermon time because I wanted that in front of you and with you and haven't heard it recently because what you're going to see in this part of Luke as we're in chapter 5 today is that you're going to see that Jesus has had some success with his ministry and people are thinking man we've got a winner on our hands and now because he's getting some prominence because he's getting some uh, some notoriety he's about to run headlong into some controversies and he's about to upset the status quo. And he's going to go head to head in each of these stories that we looked at, go head to head with 
the religious leaders of the time. The ones that wanted to take it back to a simpler time. And you need to understand, you're going to hear about Pharisees in this. And if you've grown up in the church, we always hear a theme song when we hear the word Pharisees. And it, you know, it usually sounds like the Jaws theme song or the Darth Vader theme song because we know they're the villains in the story. Well, any of Luke's first readers, the ones that first heard this message, they would not have thought of them as the villains. They would have thought them as you and me, the good church people. Because they would have been the heroes of the day. Because their whole effort, they, weren't, they were kind of a movement. They, they, were, they were not a, an official structure, but they were in a movement, an organized kind of movement, taking, uh, taking this message. And they wanted to get back to a simpler time when everybody followed the law. And if they, they believed that if we could just follow the law, if everybody in Israel would follow the law just for one day, it would usher in the Messiah. The Messiah would come. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene and he performs some powerful miracles and he starts saying some very provocative things, their ears perk up because they lean in because their thought is, he just might be one of us. He might be the one we've been waiting for. Until he starts messing up their little idealized world. And so if you were listening to MJ, and you can look at these through all through chapter 5. But chapter, the part of chapter 5 that we begin with today has a, a man that encounters Jesus, and he's known as a leper. And the word leper was a wide term for lots of skin diseases. But these skin diseases were usually um, corrosive. I mean, they would, and the skin would deteriorate, whatever type of ailment it was. And they would lose senses once you, if you had leprosy. And you'd lose the feeling in your extremities. And so if you lived in a world where you were always walking with your, on your feet and you were always working with your hands and you didn't have the type of protective material that we have today, your extremities were always at risk. And so one of the side effects, the tragic side effects of the disease was you didn't know when you cut yourself. You didn't know when you injured yourself. And so infection would sit in. And so you begin to lose through gangrene, different parts. And so if you had leprosy, it meant you had to live life by yourself because you would have to go into places. If there was a crowd there, you would have to literally cry out, unclean. You'd have to wave your hand yourself, say, I'm unclean. Now, we're, right now, we're already worried about something called the coronavirus. And we're keeping our eye on it, aren't we? Okay, we know now that's only a medical condition. For them, the person that was saying unclean, they were saying not only are they medically unclean, they're spiritually unclean, they're emotionally unclean, they're relationally unclean, and so their life became a life of isolation. The only people that could be around would be other lepers. And so here's a man that has been isolated. We don't know how many years, but notice what Luke says. Luke says Jesus went up and he breaks a social taboo and a religious taboo because he reaches out and Luke points this out. It says, he, and he touched him. Do not miss the power of that one little statement. He reaches out and he touches him. 
perhaps the first physical contact that the man had received in years, maybe decades. And in that moment, even though everybody around would assume that Jesus is unclean because to come in contact means you are unclean too, Jesus pushes through that barrier and reaches out and ministers to the man. Doesn't see the condition, but sees the person there. And then the scene changes and Jesus is preaching in a house. And this is one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. He's preaching in a house. And the house is so crowded that not everybody can get there. And some guys are trying to get their friend to Jesus because he can't walk. He's paralyzed. And so they arrive and they realize that they can't get to him because the house is full and people are out on the lawns and they're looking in the windows. And so they come up with an idea. And this is, this, is the mo- this is the conversation I would love to have been at. Because one of the guys in the groups has the audacity to suggest, let's get him up on the roof. Like, that's going to be an easy task. And let's dig through the roof and let's drop him down in front of Jesus. I'm sure the paralyzed guy went, wait, what do you mean drop me down from Jesus? And so they actually find a way to get their friend that cannot walk up onto the roof, they begin to dig what's probably a thatch-typed roof. Jesus is teaching, and I guess parts of the ceiling start falling down, and the image that I love the most is once a big chunk falls down and the skylight opens up, everybody in the eyes, they look upward, and there's just four guys looking over in the hole. And they ask him to move, and they lower Jesus down. And they have successfully gotten him to Jesus. They have seen him heal other people. So they have very high hopes. They're very passionate about this. And when Jesus speaks to the man, he says, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder if the friends had a moment of, but that's not why we brought him. And some of the religious leaders gathered around, they, they lose their mind. Now, how can he say something like that? Only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is teaching them something. Saying, don't make a mistake about who I am. And he says, which is easier, to say the words, your sins are forgiven, when there doesn't seem to be any physical evidence that that's actually occurred, or to say, get up and walk. And so he looks at the man again and he tells him to get up and walk. And this guy that could not walk his way there stands up and pulls his mat up. that He's been carried on for how many years? We don't know. And he walks out. I'm going to pause there just for a second before we get into the second half because that may describe you. And you may feel like you've been untouchable You've been outside the reach of either others, perhaps your family, your friends, your relationships, whatever. Or maybe even more significantly, you've been outside the reach of God. And for whatever reason, you think you're untouchable even by God because of the decisions you've made and the mistakes that you've made and the sins that you've committed and what you did to your family and whatever the list is. You need to hear the Jesus that Luke is describing to us, the one that walks right through all of those Supposed social barriers. All of that argument that we want to put up and he reaches out and he touches. And he connects again. And suddenly this man that had been invisible becomes visible again. And matters again. And it's the Son of God doing this. Or the man that was paralyzed and maybe you're at a 
not physically paralyzed, but there's something in your life that has you paralyzed and you feel like you can't move beyond. And there's something that's got you either addicted or trapped. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, walk. Now, go forward. That, that's the Jesus that we're given. And then on the back side of the scripture that we're going to look at today, you have a man that has a withered hand. And Jesus shows up in church on what's called the Sabbath. And he goes about to heal. And when he heals, the guys are upset because he violated a principle. He heals somebody. So that was like doing work. And so they are so focused on we're going to maintain the religious order that a miracle happens in front of them. And they have the audacity to say, yeah, but that was work. You broke the rules. A guy heals somebody's hand in front of me. He gets to set the rules, okay? But they are wrapped up in this thought, and so they come unglued again. And so he has to pose this question to them. Was man created for the Sabbath or the Sabbath for man? And he starts teaching them once again. And he says, what's just better to do? Is it better to care for somebody? Is it better to, to show compassion on somebody? And of course, nobody's going to answer that question because they, they see where it's going. But he's teaching them again and again, and he's beginning to break down what they thought before. And in the middle of that, we have a passage that I want to spend some time today. We've got two critical stories right in the middle of that. And I'm going to show you those because all these stories work together, and I believe what Luke is trying to show us is that Jesus and some of the ways we need to change our perceptions about who he is and how he's not going to fit into a box for us. Here's the first one. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 27. If you're on the scripture journals, it's going to be on page 42, or you can go to our, uh, our westernhills.church and you'll see them there. It says this, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. Now, let me set the stage for us a little bit. Because you need to understand the tax collector, even though nobody is thrilled with the idea of a tax collection today, that word, that title was very offensive back in the day, back in Jesus' time. Because what a tax collector had done, a tax collector was basically a, a, um, an official, a Jewish person that had sold out to become an official of Rome. And as Rome tried to control its ever-expanding empire, what they would do is they would put governors over different regions and the governors would set up a taxing structure where basically you could buy a district or a franchise and you could tax the road or the bridge or the temple tax or all these different taxes that, that need to be paid. And Rome was going to get its part, but if you own the taxing um, franchise, the district, or the license, or however it worked, you got to charge extra. That was your profit. And so it is Jewish folks that sold out to Rome in the name of profit. And so anybody that encountered a tax collector, you never thought, well, that was a nice one. You always felt like you were being extorted 
by Rome. And there sits the tax collector in the collecting booth or at the table. And behind him are armed guards enforcing what he decrees. And so here's Levi. And he's sitting there at the tax collector booth. And Jesus comes up and he's already got some of his disciples. And one of his disciples, we know, is what's called a zealot. And the zealot, they were, they were the guerrilla warfare of the bunch. They were the ones that were ready to take Rome out with a military victory. Zealots would actually go around with uh, knives hidden inside their cloaks. And if they were ever in a crowded marketplace or in the temple and there was a Roman guard, they would pass by the guard and stick the knife into their ribs and slip away into the crowd. That was what the zealots were. And Matthew, or I'm sorry, Levi, and if you're curious, Levi and Matthew, if, you've, if you're familiar with the other Gospels, Matthew and Levi are the same person. So if you want to write a note in there, this is talking about Matthew, who wrote one of the other Gospels. He's sitting in his tax collecting booth, and here comes Jesus, and Jesus walks up, and he says the most incredible thing. With him at the tax collecting booth, clearly on the outside, viewed as a traitor from his people, Jesus says, follow me. Now, you know, the other disciples at the back, they lost their mind too. Not a tax collector. We can't be associated with the tax collector. Jesus, that's the enemy. Why are you inviting the enemy? Now, what's more extraordinary than the invitation is what happens next. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. The invitation was this. Follow me. And there's something about Jesus where he responds. Levi sees something in Jesus. And it's this attractive, this magnetic nature. And maybe it was perhaps for the first time in a long time that somebody saw him for who he is. And not simply a traitor. Not simply somebody to be spit upon. But saw him and it was worth it. And so Levi gets up, and he's drawn to that. And, and just what I want you to know, again, this may be the part of the message that's for you. If you feel like your overarching picture of God is that he's angry with you, and he's so disappointed with you, and all he wants to do if he ever got his hands on you is discipline you in the way that mom or dad used to discipline you, that's not the Jesus that Luke presents to us. If you were to encounter Jesus, you may be nothing like him, but you would like him. There's something about him. And Levi sees that, and so he follows him, leaves everything, and watch what happens next. And Levi made him a great feast. Levi is so excited at this moment, Levi throws a party. Okay? That's a great feast. That's a barbecue. Okay? He goes out, and he gathers his friends together at his house. He throws a party, and there's a large company of, and... Let's think about this for a moment. If you're a tax collector and nobody else talks to you, who do you get to invite to your party? Who are your friends? Other tax collectors. That's the only people he knows. All the sellouts. Nobody else talks to him. So Jesus is here. Here's this rabbi that if some mention, some note, he's going to come to his house. And so he throws a party and it's together with tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees, there they are, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. I know it's hard to imagine church people grumbling, right? But they grumbled. 
saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And, and you've probably heard me say this before. I love it that sinners are a bad category. Tax collectors are so bad they get their own category. Okay? They're sinners. You know, there's ever imaginable evil thing you could do. And then there's the tax collectors. Okay? So they're saying, why does he eat with these people? And so Jesus answers, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, you need to understand why I'm here. These, these are my people. These are the ones that I came for. And he doesn't go into all this, but he could say, I left heaven. I left the presence of your heavenly father to come, and it's on account of these people. Why wouldn't I be around? He has this great comparison to, to being a doctor. And he says, says, why would the physician go to the healthy people? Why wouldn't they go to the sick people? And they're back on their heels because it's blowing their mind. They can't understand. Why would you, if you're a righteous person, why would you go to unrighteous people? If God's so righteous and holy, why would you begin to gather yourself with this mess? Do you have any idea what these people have done, Jesus? He goes, I know exactly what they've done. And Jesus begins to break down their categories. And he begins to change the definition of what it means to follow him. Now, i got to switch gears here because this is one that I think we still struggle with today. I think we still wrestle with this today and our temptation is to so quickly want to fall back into wasn't it simpler back then when we knew exactly what to do and we knew exactly what side of, side of an issue to stand on and we knew exactly where, what we believed and we've got all of our nice little circles created. See, I wonder how often the church sees itself as the one that needs to go and be among the sick people of the world. See, nobody would be surprised when you walk into Scott and White Hospital and you go, oh my God, there's sick people here. Who knew? But we seem like we're surprised sometimes when we walk into a church and we go, there's sinners here. Who knew? And somehow we want to get this illusion out that all we are is together and the people that have it all together. We're all healthy. In fact, at times we work to keep out others, don't we? If somebody else doesn't believe the same way, vote the same way, or they have a different lifestyle, we want to keep them at, at bay because it feels more comfortable here. See, this is what Jesus is doing. He's making them very uncomfortable because he's breaking with all the tradition and he's going with everything that seems to be taboo. And when you sat down in that culture and you ate with someone... It indicated an incredibly intimate relationship. And what Jesus is doing is he's rewiring their world for them. Maybe this will help. Is anybody just absolutely just in love with your health insurance? I mean, you know, you may be grateful to have it, but does anybody just go, you're not going to believe how my health insurance works? It is awesome. Because what goes on in our world today with all the debate, it's not, 
we, 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 t- we call it health care, but it's really we're debating health insurance, aren't we? And if you've got experience with the health insurance, you know one of the things that for some procedures and some things, you need to have pre-qualification, right? All right, so the health insurance doesn't provide the care. It doesn't provide the healing, but it will pre-qualify you if you can go to the hospital to get the care and the healing. Unfortunately, I think at times the church has switched its role. We should be the hospital and we've become the health care. I mean, the health insurance. And what we've done is we've said to the world, we will pre-screen you for grace. We will pre-qualify you to see if you can accept Jesus' righteousness and his holiness and his forgiveness. So I want this to be helpful. And there's, I want this to navigate on how do we get through with this. But I think there's a principle here that can help us as we interact with all those around us because I know the temptation is to say, but Scott, that means just anything can come into the church. And what I'm here to tell you is Jesus can handle anything that comes into the church. And so here's Jesus sitting among those that were the least like him and yet loving on them. And so here's a principle, and some of you heard me preach this before, but it goes like this. The call of Jesus is not to be distant, but to be distinct. The call of Jesus is not to be distant. We don't have to stay at a distance because that's what the Pharisees were wanting. Separate yourself from them. Move, move away from them. But to be a distinct people where we're different than the world. Not distant, but what we do so often is we confuse relationship with endorsement, don't we? If, if I'm in relationship with someone, then obviously I'm endorsing everything that, that they did or they do or they believe. And here says Jesus and he's at this table and he's surrounded by tax collectors and he is not endorsing the political structure of Rome. He's not endorsing the emperor. He's not endorsing any of the oppressive structures that were in place. Jesus at one time, we're told, is at another dinner party and a prostitute comes in and begins washing his feet. And when everybody else is appalled that somebody of her stature would be connected with somebody of his stature, he looks at them and allows her to continue to finish this very loving act and talks about what a blessing she is. But he never endorses the sex trade. He never approves of it. So we can be, dis- we can be distinct but we don't have to be distant. Let me address one that I think is very relevant um, for many of us. And through my ministry, I've had this conversation on more than one time. And some of you here have talked to me about, Scott, someone that I love is confessing same-sex attraction. And I don't know what to do. And you're torn because you're wrestling with this whole deal of how do I still stay in relationship with them I, I, I want to encourage you with this right here this doesn't solve everything I, I get it's, it's not, I'm not trying to oversimplify it but I believe the call of Jesus is not to be distant not that we have to break off relationship with the one that you love and care about but to be distinct so we will still love and care for those in whatever challenge and struggle that they find but we will be distinct for us and that one, we're not anti-anybody here at Western Hills. 
There, there's nobody, what Bob said earlier during communion is absolutely true. Jesus invites all, and we're not going to stand in the way. So we're not going to be distant. We'll be distinct. Here's how we're distinct. We believe that the sexual ethic put forward in the New Testament is that sexual intimacy is designed and reserved for a man and a woman in the context of marriage. All others are called the celibacy. If you're not paying attention to our world today, that's a very distinct position. That's very unique. That's the one that we believe the New Testament puts forth. That's the one we'll hold to. But all are welcome. We're not going to be distant because we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. And that's what was so hard for these guys to understand. So Jesus goes on and explains one more thing, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this. Verse 33, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often, and they offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. Jesus, you guys are always seem like you're at a party. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? And the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the old. The new will not match. And no one puts new wine to old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the wineskins and will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. He's given this example of this idea of wineskins. What you would do is um, kind of a leather pouch, and the wine would ferment. And when the wine ferments, it expands, and the leather would stretch with it until it was stretched out. So if you put a volume of wine to be fermented in a new one, and it began to expand, if it didn't have that give inside the pouch, it would burst and spill out. And so he's talking about, I'm not going to be contained inside of your old framework. You don't get to define me. You don't get to define how my ministry is going to go. And we're so tempted to do that, aren't we? And so then he ends with this very interesting line. He says, no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he said the old is good. And it almost sounds like he's flipping back on that and say the old is good. So I thought you just said the new is the one we need to embrace. Here's what I believe he's doing. I think he's making a statement about our human condition and is acknowledging how hard and difficult it is for us to change and what a temptation it is for us to run back into all that's comfortable, run right back to Mayberry and pretend like it's all simple again. So here's the, here's the illustration I've got. In April of 1985, the world changed. Not for the better. I can remember when this announcement came out. We're going to have new Coke. And it became what was known as, they thought it was the worst marketing ploy or the, the, most, the worst business development in, in history to change a 100-year-old recipe. But what had happened is Coke's market share had d- diminished, diminished, and Pepsi was on the rise. And so they didn't make this change just in the spur of a moment. They did taste test after taste test, and all of their data showed that they had a winner on their hands. That this was going to be the new taste, the new formula that was going to achieve back their market share again. New Coke rolls this out. 
what they had not calculated was nostalgia. They hadn't calculated the power of people remembering when dad took me to the fishing hole and he bought two Cokes on the way. When grandma took me to Dairy Queen and we shared a Coke. When we used to have birthday parties, we had Cokes. All of those memories, they didn't account for nostalgia. And three months later, they had to change their decision. ABC actually broke into a broadcast of General Hospitals to give the announcement that old Coke is back. Because the old, once we try it, we sure don't like to leave it, do we? And Jesus is saying, you're going to be so tempted to run back to that which you know and that which is so familiar. So let me give you a few takeaways. And then we'll end here. Jesus is not limited by your expectations of him. Jesus does not ask you permission for how he can be. Jesus doesn't want you to draw the box around him. We don't get to limit him. Who he loves, who he ministers to, who he heals, who he saves, who he calls, who he invites, that's all his prerogative. We don't get to define that for him. Second one, Jesus does not care about your comfort zone. He cares about your character. Jesus is not looking to reinforce your comfort zone. I wish I could go back to where it's all comfortable is not on Jesus' mission. He does passionately want to shape your character and your ministry and the people that you love and who you go out into this world and love. That he wants to shape, not your comfort zone. We've got to be able to lay down this idea that staying inside of my comfort zone is also means that I'm staying somehow inside of God's call. Because he's calling us outside of that. Next one is this. Jesus did not come to give you religion, but to give you life. A doctor is not there simply to give you medicine. That's not the end goal. The end goal is life. Jesus did not come to bring you a set of rules and restraints He came so that you may have life. And as John says, have it more and more abundantly. That's what he's calling you to. And that's the invitation. And that's why Jesus goes and he sits down with people that are nothing like him. And he has a party and he gives them this message. And it's words of life to them. Not another system that they've got to somehow follow and they run the risk of falling on the outside of. But a person and a relationship, and it means life. So one last question for you to wrestle with as you go. Will you trust Christ or your comfort zone? Will you trust Christ wherever he leads you or your comfort zone? Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so grateful that Jesus would sit down He'd sit down with people, nothing like him, and invite them to the table because that means that I'm invited. Even with all of my baggage and all of my brokenness and all of my regret, I'm still invited. So Father, I pray for anyone here that perhaps is broken sexually, perhaps is broken spiritually, is broken 
with their family and relationships is broken because of trauma or tragedy, Father, is broken because of an addiction, Father, is broken because of an abortion that they've had. That each of those people, Father, would know that they are a candidate for your grace. That's your invitation, just like it was extended to Levi. Come on, follow me. And Father, may we as the church, may we not get in the way, but may we celebrate with the ones that Jesus celebrates with. Father, I pray that you would change us. And Father, we don't get this right sometimes. And if so I ask for your forgiveness there and ask for the courage that we would love those around us the way Jesus does. It's in his holy name I pray, amen. If you felt like the leper, this message is for you. If you feel like one that's kept the leper outside, this message is for you. If there's any way we can minister to you, we'd love to do that. Ministers are gonna be down front. Some of our shepherds are gonna be down front. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk about baptism with you and what that means to enter into this life with Jesus. Come now as we stand, as we sing the song together, please.